I want to say just another word of welcome to each and every one of you. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and as I scan uh, the room, I see many new faces, um, many guests with us this morning, and as Caleb welcomed you, I also want to just say how thankful we are that we can uh, gather together and worship with you this morning and have you join us, and I'd love an opportunity. I haven't had a chance to do so yet. I'd love an opportunity to say hello to you. This morning is a special treat for us, uh, especially uh, for me just personally in some ways, uh, because we get to to welcome um, Aaron and Holly Snell to um, the platform and for Aaron to open up uh, the Word of God for us. Um, As you might know, if you have been with us, if you're not a guest with us, um, we have been collecting uh, funds through their baby bottle campaign for Hope Women's Center. Um, That is our local crisis pregnancy center, and and so we've been doing that. We we finished that up on Father's Day last weekend, Um, but today I just thought it would be just really great if we could hear directly from Aaron and Holly. Holly serves as the executive director of Hope Women's Center, and Aaron gets the opportunity to serve alongside his beautiful wife, um, which is a gift to him, I know. And um, I am so thankful to have them here with us at City Church. And uh, for those of you that haven't uh, been around for a long time, this church was planted a little over seven years ago. Uh, And when we planted the church, uh, Aaron um, was just such a great friend. Um, He is a Barnabas in my life, an encouragement to me. Um, There were many days where I wasn't sure exactly how we were going to proceed forward, how we were going to take the next step um, in doing this. And Aaron and I had many conversations that I won't ever forget. Hopefully, he's probably forgotten all my stupid questions, but Aaron was there as someone who encouraged me um, just as a faithful brother, and so I'm so thankful for he and Holly, and the opportunity that we have as a church to stand alongside with them at Hope um, blesses uh, blesses us all, and especially uh, as uh, one of your pastors, it's just a joy to be a part of a church that uh, stands for life, and we say here at City Church that we're a church that exists for the glory of God and the good of the city, Um, and there is really um, no better way. Um, than standing for life and the sanctity of life. And that is what um, Aaron and Holly and their team at Hope do so well. And so um, I'm not going to take any more of their time. We're going to hear a video or watch a video, hear and watch a video that uh, will better introduce you to Hope Women's Center if you don't know about what they are and who um, their ministry. And then uh, Aaron and Holly are going to come and lead us and share. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron and Holly. Let's watch this video. Hope Women's Center has been serving young women in North Texas who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies for over 15 years. And since 2006, Hope has served over 10,000 women providing pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, and STI testing and treatment. And let me tell you, we have seen an abortion boom in this country since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. The young women we see are more stressed and scared than ever. The world is telling these women and their families that abortion is easy and okay but we know all too well the implications of that decision. But we aren't here to only meet their medical needs. We provide parenting and discipleship classes, counseling, one-on-one mentoring for those struggling with their fears and circumstances. We also provide post-abortion support groups where people discover that God doesn't use our past to shame us, but rather redeems our past and sets us free. As 2021 began, Hope is experiencing more momentum and excitement than ever before. We were positioned to serve more patients. We were getting ready to begin offering post-abortion support classes for men. We were also increasing our discipleship and parenting classes. And our greatest initiative this year was to begin offering abortion pill reversal. But in February, as many North Texans began to thaw out from the winter freeze, we dropped by the clinic to pick up a few things, only to realize that it had been totally destroyed. Our building had lost power for three days and the sprinkler system froze and burst, completely flooding the center. Here's a little footage of what we found. Babe, the roof's down. That's where it's As we were walking through the clinic that day and really going from room to room, surveying the devastation, I just went and sat in her office And from afar, I could hear her weeping. I could hear her sobbing as she continued to just see more and more devastation. And as I was sitting in her office and listening to her cry, um, I I lifted my eyes and I saw directly across from me, one of the only things that survived was a painting on her wall that her sister had done of the scripture in Isaiah 43. And it said clearly, behold, I am doing a new thing. 
remember not the former. And in that moment, I just felt such a calm that the Lord was with us. Little did we know that God was beginning Hope's greatest comeback. Later that night, as our family was at dinner, I received a call from a Colorado Springs number that I didn't recognize. I answered it, and it was focused on the family. And they said that they had heard the news and was sending us a brand new 4D ultrasound machine. They knew that all of our equipment had been destroyed. But their generosity, it didn't just stop there. They were already reaching out to other pro-life ministries all over the country, trying to find a mobile clinic for us to use to keep us operational. They understood that every day counts, that every day that we were unable to see patients, lives were potentially being lost. The following day, we recorded a video to share with all of our ministry partners. As we stood amidst the rubble, the Lord was stirring our faith and giving us a message of hope. We we choose to walk by faith, not by sight. Our lens is that uh, the vision, the mission will go forward. Oh, we may be down, but we are not out. And what the enemy meant for evil, God is gonna turn for good. We are gonna come out stronger because of this. As word began to spread, support from unanticipated sources began to come in. Churches, national pro-life ministries, pregnancy clinics from around the country. The Lord was truly doing a new thing. He was paving a way for our pregnancy clinic to grow. Our greatest comeback was in the works. Within a matter of 15 days, we had a brand new ultrasound machine, a mobile clinic, and a temporary space to serve patients. But the Lord wasn't done with all that He had planned for us. We began to pray and ask God where He was leading us for a permanent home. And one morning, the Lord led me to Mark 2.22, where Jesus says, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And as I came across that passage, I felt the Lord speaking to my heart saying, Holly, this is for hope. I have a new wine, a new anointing that I'm gonna pour out on this ministry. Your previous facility can't contain all that I'm gonna do. And about a week later, members of our board discovered two shell buildings directly across the street from our previous location. Nearly 9,000 square feet of space, double what we had before. And after much prayer, we knew that this is where the Lord was leading. We made an offer on both those buildings, and it was accepted. From the beginning of this journey, we felt the Lord challenge us to seek Him for supernatural provision. Our job as leaders was simply to be in His presence, that it's absolutely critical that we not take a step apart from His leading, because we know that when we are in alignment with His vision, provision will follow. One of the first confirmations that we received was when a precious couple responded to one of our videos and asked to take us to lunch. This was a monumental faith moment that we'll never forget. This couple began telling us how they received unexpected bonuses last year. At the end of the year, they sat down to give from their surplus and felt the Lord speak to their hearts saying, hold this money, there is a need that has not yet been revealed. So in February, when they saw our first video, they instantly knew that this was the need they were waiting for. So with tears in their eyes, checkbook in their hand, they wrote a very generous check to hope. And the husband added that the Lord had given him a verse, and it was from Isaiah 43 saying, Behold, I am doing a new thing. The exact verse that the Lord immediately used to calm our hearts when we saw the devastation to our building. Here we are in our brand new permanent space for Hope Women's Center, literally located directly across the street from where we have been for so many years. The Lord has provided 9,000 square feet between two buildings. We are so excited for the future. So we are currently standing in the medical building, and this is the place where our patients are gonna be walking through our doors. They're gonna feel cared for and loved. This is the place where we're gonna have critical conversations with them about their fears, their stresses, their anxieties as they face an unplanned pregnancy. But what's really special is what happens in our exam rooms and where they're gonna see their child for the first time on that screen. Building number two will serve as our admin, training, and discipleship space. We are so pumped to have so much additional square footage as we will be ramping up our training and discipleship opportunities through our Men of Hope ministry, our parenting classes, our post-abortive support for women and men, mentoring, uh, life skills training. We are so excited. Part of the vision also for this ministry in this new season in the new building uh, is that we would have an adoption agency on site. We are so thankful for the Lord's supernatural provision 
for this ministry. In all, this project will cost $2.5 million, and we celebrate the provision of the Lord. And in the weeks following the storm, we have had over 500,000 given to this project. We rejoice over the supernatural provision. Our vision is that there would be no debt for this ministry. Would you consider helping us knock out the remaining $2 million? When you give to Hope, you're not giving to brick and mortar, but you're giving to people, broken people, lost people, people in crisis and people with no voice. As believers, we are called not to just sit on the sidelines, but rather we are called to rescue those who are being led away to death, to be a defender of the defenseless, and to be a voice for the voiceless. For the young boyfriends who walked through the doors of Hope thinking this was the worst day of their life, only to be met by a Men of Hope team member speaking calm into their storm. Thank you for being a part of their greatest comeback. For the young moms and dads who attended our parenting and childbirth classes, looking for community, support, and guidance, thank you for being part of their greatest comeback. For the men silently grieving their part in a previous abortion, who now walk in healing and acceptance, thank you for being a part of their greatest comeback. For the women who have been ravaged by the secrecy and shame of a past abortion, who are now forgiven and set free, thank you for being a part of their greatest comeback. For our patients who not only choose life for their child, but ultimately choose abundant and eternal life in Christ, thank you for being a part of their greatest comeback. For the young woman who was raised in a Christian home, who initially feels judgment and condemnation, only to find forgiveness and hope from a God who loves them, thank you for being a part of their greatest comeback. For the young woman who walked into hope feeling overwhelmed, scared, and desperate, like I did five years ago, thank you for pointing us to life and for being a part of our greatest comeback. Don't you see, when it seemed all hope was gone, God was preparing the comeback. God not only is restoring and redeeming what the enemy meant for evil, but God's comeback is better than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Will you stand with us for the lost, the least, and the voiceless in North Texas? Will you join Hope Women's Center for our greatest comeback? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much uh, for having us. This is really special for us. Um, City Church is kind of our home away from home. It really is. Ryan texted me earlier this week about today, and uh, man, I just responded back to him that it feels like for us coming home. We, we love this church so much. Your leadership, um, man, they are beyond best friends to us. They are family to us. Honestly, this is a dangerous thing to give us the platform because we officed with these guys the first few years of the church. <laughs> And boy, we could tell you some stories, but I won't. So, um, but man, we seriously, we, we love this church so much. Yes, to come and to worship with you, it just feels so wonderful. And I have some dear friends in this church, so we do feel like we're coming home. So thank you for allowing us to be here today and sharing a little bit about all that God is doing. Yeah, as, as you saw in the video, God is doing so much in and through Hope Women's Center as we stand, as we fight for the sanctity of life in North Texas. And this church um, is a bold partner. This church takes a bold stance for life, and we're so grateful for that. And even just having this time today, honestly, um, the Barna Group says that only 10% of churches in America will talk about the sanctity of life, only 10%. And the, the Pew Research team takes it a step further and says that only 4% of sermons in America will ever mention the word abortion. And so you need to know that this is a rare thing that is happening today, that your church is taking a bold stance for life. And so we, we really are grateful. Um, the leading cause of death, the leading cause of death in our country is abortion. Not uh, heart disease, not cancer, not COVID, as bad as those things are. The leading cause of death is abortion. Let that sink in, that the intentional killing of an innocent life that oftentimes is just simply viewed as inconvenient and therefore terminated, that that's the leading cause of death in our country. Look, I know this is sensitive to talk about. It's difficult to hear. Um, Holly and I get the opportunity to speak at a lot of churches and a lot of different events. And sometimes when we go places, we're asked to be really, really careful what we say. We're asked to soften the message. 
Um, Holly was speaking at an event um, not too long ago, and a week before the event, the organizer called her and said, hey, we're so excited to have you. Thank you for speaking at this event. Just make sure you don't mention the word abortion. We don't want that in the presentation. Just talk about hope and talk about how you affirm life. And I think that sometimes here in our Bible Belt mentality and culture that we are more offended talking about abortion and hearing about abortion than the reality that it's actually happening right here in our community. And so it's no wonder that we have so many people in our churches who are, who are uninformed, who are uh, apathetic, or who are afraid to speak up. We live in a culture that tries to moralize abortion. We live in a culture that tries to sanitize abortion. We live in a culture that tries to desensitize abortion. We live in a culture that tries to silence all opposition to abortion. You need to know that our country is very aggressive when it comes to abortion. There's around 195 countries in our world, and 191 of them have banned late-term abortion, anything past 20 weeks. Only a few allow it. North Korea, China, Vietnam, the United States. That's, that's not a list. That's not a group we want to be associated with. But that's the reality of our country. And I think a lot of times here in our Bible Belt, when we talk about abortion, we, we can tend to think, yeah, that's, that's a New York thing. That's an L.A. thing. That's kind of a coastal thing. No, it's happening very much here in our community. We live in a culture of death. That's right. So you may be sitting here in this worship service this morning, and abortion is, is a part of your story. And so, ladies, perhaps you've been stuffing down this secret hiding it for years. Men, perhaps you've encouraged or even paid for an abortion years ago and even stuffed down and silenced your thoughts, your feelings, because you felt like you just needed to support her decision. You've been silently grieving as well. But it's, it's not an accident that you're here this morning. Amen. I want you to know that the Lord has not brought you here today to shame you. You see, that's the beautiful thing about our God. He doesn't use our past to shame us. That's what the enemy does. But he rather takes our past and he redeems it. He changes it. I'm thankful that we serve and that we worship a Savior that doesn't weigh us down with our mistakes and our past sin. But rather he's a Savior who lifts us up and sets us free. This is not the unforgivable sin as the enemy would want to deceive you into believing this morning. I'm here to declare over you today that God sees you. He sees that private hurt. He loves you. And you can be forgiven today. It's time to silence the accuser. Romans 8.1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And this morning, you can be set free. Today, there is victory available to you. And today perhaps, can be the greatest day for your comeback. Amen. Unfortunately, though, the church <clears throat> has not historically responded well to the crisis of abortion. Um, oftentimes, we see the church kind of in two categories, responding to abortion, one with anger, um, not righteous anger that the Bible talks about. The Bible tells us as believers to speak truth in love. Instead, oftentimes we see people in the name of Christianity not speaking truth, but shouting. And it's not in love, and so there's a lot of harm that comes to the cause of life. But I think where we find most of the church, and this is where I was before the Lord really awakened the sanctity of life in my heart, is apathy. We find ourselves living in this moral fog. You see, it's, when you think that something is bad and the laws of the land also say it's bad, then that's easy. It's bad. But what do you do when you feel like something is bad and the laws of the land say it's okay? Then what? That's where we find ourselves as believers. We find ourselves living in this weird moral fog. And so most of us just end up silently accepting this culture of death. And meanwhile, around one million babies a year are killed in our country. Stop and think about that. 3,000 a day. Think about that like in kind of context of some national events. So if you think back to 9-11, just 
a horrible day for our country, a day that none of us will ever forget where we were. I mean, it just drove you to your knees. Our, our country mourned that. We still look back every year. We, we reflect on that as we should. But 2,977 people died that day. Horrible. But that's one day of abortion. Abortion is day after day, year after year. Think back to 2012, the Sandy Hook Elementary Massacre, where a deranged gunman walks into uh, an elementary school and he, he shoots up an elementary class. You remember 26 people died. And you remember watching on the news, seeing all these precious kindergartners, seeing their beautiful faces. And man, it knocked the wind out of us, right? Seeing these kindergartners being taken out like that. But for that to relate to abortion, imagine if that happened in 120 schools and cities at the exact same time. That's what abortion looks like every single day in our country, day after day, year after year. And so let me tell you, the enemy is just fine with us, the church, capital C Church, responding in either one of those ways we just talked about. Anger, because it just brings more shame and condemnation to the victims of abortion, or apathy, because it just lulls us to sleep, right? And nothing happens. We're just indoctrinated by culture. But that's not okay because Scripture calls us to action. It's not enough to just care, right? Because caring can still lead to inaction. As I said in the video, Scripture calls us, Proverbs 24, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Psalm 82, defend the defenseless. Proverbs 31, be a voice for the voiceless. And there are none more vulnerable than the preborn child. No rights, no voice, no ability to defend themselves. Church, we must rise up. We must take action. Silence is the wrong thing. So open your Bibles. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. A very familiar passage. Most of us are going to know it well. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, right? It's a question we all should be asking. Jesus, what does it take to get into heaven? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Now you go and do likewise. Again, a very familiar passage that most of us know. But Jesus is telling the story, right, of this guy who was beaten, he was robbed. And he was left for dead on the side of the road, a vulnerable man. And Jesus says that two religious guys come walking down the road, a Levite and a priest. And this should be the vulnerable guy's big break. This should be exactly what he needs, right? Two guys who, they know the scriptures. They know the law of God. They know exactly what God would expect of them in this situation. But Jesus says they see the vulnerable man, but they don't want to see the vulnerable man. And so they look the other way and they just keep about in their religious way and they walk right past the vulnerable man. But then he tells us of another response. He says a Samaritan comes down and he sees the exact same vulnerable man in that exact same vulnerable position. And Jesus says that the, the Samaritan stops and he says he has compassion on the vulnerable man. Not just that he cares. Again, caring can lead to inaction, but he has compassion. And then Jesus defines compassion as action in the next verse, he says he has compassion by taking the man, binding up his wounds, pouring oil on his wounds, putting him on his animal, taking him to a hotel, and paying for it. 
And then Jesus says to the lawyer and to those listening, he says, now you go and do likewise. You go and live your life this way. And so Jesus is teaching his followers, his disciples, that one thing that should mark our life is that we should live with eyes wide open, that we should see the vulnerable around us and not just see them, but we should see and respond. That compassion, that is action, should mark our lives. But one thing that's very interesting about this passage is this lawyer plays a really prominent part. This lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks two really important questions. First of all, he says, hey, what's it take to get into heaven? Great question. Jesus says, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? He says, love God with everything you've got, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, exactly, do that and you will live. But then he says, but who is my neighbor? And if you, we, we look in verse 29, we really get a snapshot into this lawyer's heart where it says, desiring to justify himself, desiring to justify his actions, he says, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Notice he's not asking this question from a heart of worship where he's saying, Lord, who is my neighbor? Lord, I just want to do anything I can to honor you, to bring you glory, to to whatever is near to your heart. I want that to be near to my heart. I want to make sure no one is left out. That's not how he's asking it. He's asking that question so he can categorize who's a neighbor and who's a non-neighbor. Who do I have to love and who can I get away with not loving and still get to? Abortion. The central question is always, always, what is the unborn? Because if the unborn is a human, if the unborn is a human, then the unborn is our neighbor. The Bible is very clear that every human being is our neighbor, that we don't get to create categories of neighbor and non-neighbor, that every human being is our neighbor. And in 1973, the Supreme Court decided that there was this entire class of human beings that don't get the title of person, and therefore they don't get legal protection. And so that if you're an unborn human being, you don't get the rights of personhood guaranteed in the Constitution and granted to you intrinsically by the created of the universe. So we have intrinsic value, right? We believe that, that before, before you do anything to society, before you contribute, before you do anything impressive or, or do anything for another person, there is simply, there's value on your life because you're a human being. And as Christians, we take it a step farther. There's value on your life because you're created in the image of God. You're created in the Imago Dei. And so I remind us that our God He's the one who came, and he came in the form of an unborn child. And so our world, our world has a devastating history of doing this, of defining certain people out of existence in order that we can mistreat or eliminate them. I don't have to, we don't have to look any further than slavery in our own country and the Holocaust in Germany, where a group of people in power decided that these people over here were not persons, they're not neighbors. And so we don't have to give them the same rights, and therefore we can mistreat them and we can possibly eliminate them if we want to. And this dehumanization of our unborn neighbors has led to the death of over 63 million innocent children in our country in the last 48 years. 63 million. I think sometimes we just gloss by numbers like that, right? We turn on the news and we hear we're spending a trillion dollars here, we're 20 trillion dollars in debt over here we're sending 500 million here and so we come to a million like six a number like 63 million and 63 million lives are not with us the reality is that science scripture and common sense all agree that the baby in the womb is not just a product of conception that Planned Parenthood says but it's a human being And therefore, it's our neighbor. The embryology textbook, you say, what in the world is embryology? Embryology is the study of an embryo. You say, what's an embryo? An embryo is a person at a very early stage of development. So when there's fertilization, there's a zygote. The zygote develops into the embryo. The embryo develops into the fetus. The fetus is born. It develops into an infant. The infant develops into a toddler. The toddler develops to a preteen. The preteen develops to a teenager. The teenager develops into an adult. We have these levels of development. 
So in other words, you didn't come from an embryo. You were an embryo, right? And so the embryology textbook, it teaches that from the moment of conception, the earliest stages of development, that the embryo contains the entire genetic blueprint that accounts for every detail in human development. The child's sex, hair, eye color, height, skin tone, on and on and on. That from the moment of conception, you were a distinct, living, and whole human being. That is the exact language from an embryology textbook that is in college campus, college campuses all over our country. From the moment of conception, you are distinct, living, whole human being. So, what does distinct mean? We all know. Distinct. You're unique, right? You're a unique individual. We're not the same. I'm not you. You're not me. We are distinct individuals from the moment of conception. Distinct. Living. What does living mean? Dead things don't grow, right? Dead things don't grow. Pregnant women, they can't just will their babies to grow. The baby develops from within the womb on its own, independent of the mother's wishes or desire. Distinct living and whole. What does whole mean? Whole means that it has everything that it needs to develop on its own. It's not fully developed, but it has everything that it needs to develop. The only thing that it needs is time. So from the moment of conception, science teaches that we are a distinct, living, whole human being. Science proves that life in the womb is, is a human being. Scripture, we know. Scripture obviously confirms that. We see that fetus in the womb is a human life. God says to Jeremiah, he says, before you were even in your mother's womb, I set you apart. I knew you. We see that John the Baptist, when he's still in his mother's womb, Elizabeth, and she visits Mary, and Jesus is in the womb of Mary. Elizabeth says that, that my child, he leapt for joy in the womb. So in the womb, we see action. We see life. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. The book of Psalms says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knit you together in your mother's womb. We see that life starts at conception, and we know this from science. We know this from Scripture. We all also know this from common sense. The fact that over 40 states have fetal homicide laws shows us that we know that it's life in the womb that we are killing, right? You think about a pregnant woman that is killed, you're charged with two counts of life, two counts of murder, Two counts of homicide. Think about a woman who is pregnant and she's on her way to an abortion. She, she's on her way to terminate that life. But if she's hit in a car accident on the way there and she doesn't make it, that driver, even though she's on her way to terminate that child, that driver's tar- charged with two counts of murder, homicide. But if she swerves out of the way and she doesn't get hit, and she's able to walk into that abortion clinic and pay all of that money to have that life terminated, In our culture, that's considered brave and heroic, and it's celebrated. And so you see the the moral inconsistency in our country, and it shows us that we know that it's a human being in the womb. And so how do we respond to this truth? I believe the answer is very, very simple. We respond by loving our unborn neighbors. That's easy to say, but what in the world does it look like? We live in, we live in a, a crazy pro-abortion culture, right? A culture that calls abortion reproductive justice. A culture that calls abortion health care. But just like the lawyer in the story wanted to define certain people as neighbors and others as non-neighbors, the unborn children in our country are almost exclusively defined by the culture as non-neighbors, non-persons, non-human Church, if we believe in the sanctity of life and we desire to honor the image of God, then we must care about the injustice of abortion and we must activate and get in the fight for life. So can't you see? This ministry is so important to the heart of God and we must wake up. We, we must wake up to this issue. And Aaron and I don't stand here from a higher platform saying, with the finger pointed at you, looking down on you. We are those people. The Lord had to reawaken our hearts for this ministry. We've got to wake up together for this ministry. It is near the heart of God. And so hear me loud and clear that when we speak of victims of abortion, 
we're not just talking about the voiceless, the preborn child, but we're also talking about the women and the men who have begun to believe the lie that ab- abortion is easy and okay. They, they're also the victims. I'll never forget the day I was walking through the Stonebriar Mall and I saw one of my former patients in the store that I was shopping in. Her and I locked eyes and she came running to me and she leans in and I see tears starting to roll down her face and she whispers, I'll never forget what I've done. And I don't know how to move on, she continued to say. Every time I see another pregnant person, I'm reminded of the choice I made. How am I going to move on? When Aaron and I speak at churches, almost every single time, we have both women and men who come and find us or eventually email us confessing abortions. I guarantee there's victims of abortions here, even in this gathering this morning. Less than a month ago, I was meeting with one of my dearest friends here in the area, and we've been friends for over seven years, and she began to share with me that when her and her husband, when they were dating and in college, they had an abortion. We've been friends for seven years, and she's just now sharing this with me. She's come to our events. Her and her husband, they they support this ministry, but she just said, I was more scared of disappointing our parents than having this baby. I guarantee you, there are those here in this room like that. Every day at Hope, we sit knee to knee with women who are being bombarded with pressure, pressure from their boyfriends, pressure from culture, pressure from their parents, friends. We see teenagers um, at our clinic who are scared to death to tell their parents that they're pregnant. We sit down with young men who fear that if their girlfriend chooses life, that maybe in a way to support them, they're going to have to choose uh, selling drugs. We see girls who have been raped, raped by family members, raped by strangers, gang raped. And at times, we even see girls who appear that they're being trafficked. They just haven't quite figured it out yet, but we see the signs, and it's all starting to come together. We also see young women who have had an abortion, who we saw at one point, but then they come back because they remember when they walk through our doors, they didn't feel judgment. They felt love. They felt something special in our building. If there was ever a time that this community needed us, if there was ever a time that these young people needed hope, if there was ever a time that they needed Jesus, it's now. When they're sitting in the middle of their crisis. Statistically, there are well over 2,000 abortions every year in Collin County alone, and that number's only rising thanks to the abortion pill. Something that we learned just a few weeks ago, there's a new abortion clinic here in McKinney. Um, It just opened up, I believe, in April. They're doing the abortion pill, and they shout loud and clear. If you go to their homepage, it says, Um, Abortion is still legal here in the state of Texas. Come and get it. This is what we're up against. We also have learned that there are different universities across um, uh, our our great uh, country, not our state yet, but they have the abortion pill and the morning after pill in vending machines for college students just to take and go for free. This is what we're up against. So we thank you for linking arms with this ministry. Some of you are aware of the heartbeat bill that recently passed here in Texas, and we praise God for Christian lawmakers who are trying to stand against abortion and stand for life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Will, Will lives be saved because of this law? Absolutely. But let me tell you, that doesn't mean what we do is not needed. Because of this bill, because... We know now that once a heartbeat is detected, um, abortion is now no longer an option for girls here in the state of Texas. So what does that mean? It means even right now, when patients call us wanting to make an appointment, they want to refuse the ultrasound because they fear if they see the heartbeat, then they can't have an abortion. These girls are more scared than ever before. The good news... The good news is that Jesus is the greater good Samaritan. Back to our passage. 
Um, I don't want to leave us burdened this morning that none of us can love our neighbors perfectly. We can't, but the reality is that God did, and he sent Jesus. And so Jesus is the greater good Samaritan. We're not the good Samaritan in the parable, by the way. Um, We probably identify more with the religious guys who uh, see the vulnerable, but maybe we just don't want to deal with it, and so we just kind of keep to our religious ways, our our Christian ways, and we just kind of pass on by. Or maybe we relate more to the lawyer who's trying to create categories of neighbor and non-neighbor so we can conveniently not have to deal with the responsibility of loving those that we don't want to love. But Jesus is the greater good Samaritan. We are actually the bleeding victim on the side of the road. We're the one bleeding out in our sin, and Jesus comes to his enemies, right? You remember this time in Israel that A Jew and a Samaritan were enemies. That's one more intention in Jesus telling this story. And so the beauty that that this Samaritan stopped and he loved, he served his enemy is a picture of the gospel, right? That we have hearts. We were born with hearts that are opposed to God. And so Jesus comes to us, those who are opposed to him. And he loves us lavishly and he dies for us and his righteousness is imputed to us. And so now the Savior of the world, he offers a free gospel of grace for those who would repent of our sins and turn to the creator of the universe, the one who came as an unborn child to save and to redeem us. And so in response to the gospel, we want to respond rightly to the transformative nature of the gospel on our hearts. We are passionate about rescuing others. Again, Proverbs calls us rescue those who are being taken away to the slaughter because that's a picture of the gospel, right? We've been rescued. And because we've been rescued, we want to rescue others. Um, this, this week, I had just an amazing encounter with a guy in our office. Um, many of you know we have a ministry called Men of Hope. And that is where we have a group of guys who are trained. Some of the guys from your church are part of our team. Uh, but we sit down with the boyfriends, um, whoever's involved in the, the, the crisis pregnancy. And we have found that, um, you know, so the girls find us online and then they call and they make an appointment. We try our very hardest for the girl to bring the guy with her because we find that when we have the opportunity to sit with the guy while the girl's back having her appointment, the chance of them choosing life is so much more. And so we've had some amazing stories. So this week, this couple comes in and I had the opportunity to sit down with this guy. And um, I mean, we're just we're having a great talk, and we try to be very spirit-led in these conversations. We don't try to come in with a script. We want to really hear their fears and their insecurities and what they're struggling with. We want to just be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. We want to speak hope and peace and calm into their situation. And so I'm talking with this guy, and I'm listening to his situation. And honestly, I could feel the spirit telling me that that God was pursuing him for salvation. And so at some point I asked him, I said, hey, um, what does faith look like in your life? And so he told me he's a Hispanic guy that he grew up uh, in the Catholic church, but he's been away from church for many years. And so um, he kept talking and I said, let me ask you this. If you were to die tonight, where would you go and why? And he really stopped and pondered that. He looked at the ground and he thought, and he finally he looked up and he said, I don't know. And I said, do you believe the Bible's true? And he says, I do. And I said, well, the Bible teaches us that we can know where we're going and why. And so I began to just break down simply the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and talk through John 3.16. And and so we're having a great conversation, but I'm still hearing Catholicism in my interaction with him and just kind of this works for salvation. Um, And so we're talking. And so I begin to talk into about Ephesians, about how we're dead in our sins. And so I gave him an analogy that a lot of us probably have used before, just the analogy. And I said, hey, um, think of like if you're in a swimming pool and, and, and you drown and you're lifeless at the bottom of that water. And I said, Catholicism and other religions would say that um, God and his attempt to save us throw some type of life preserver in the water. Maybe it's Jesus, maybe something else. And if you can just muster up the strength to get to the top of the water and you can swim your way over to that life preserver and and you can get over the waves and you can somehow just grab a hold of that life preserver and if you can hold on to the very end of the age, you'll make it. But I said, that's not the story of the Bible. It's not the story of Jesus. The reality is that God, he sent Jesus and he comes to the bottom of that pool and he takes you out of that water, that lifeless body, and he breathes new life into your lungs. And so as soon as I finished telling that story, this guy, 
non-believer, he says, I had a dream a few months ago. He said, I was drowning in a pool. And he said, Jesus appeared to me. And he stuck his hand into the water. He said, I didn't know what that meant. And he said, so I found the only Christian guy that I know. And I asked him, what does this mean? And the Christian guy told him, he said, just keep holding on. And I said, what do you think it means now in light of our conversation? And he thought about it and he said, a dead guy can't hold on. I said, exactly. And his eyes opened to the reality of the gospel, to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. And praise God, that's not just a a story that we don't see. We see these stories that as these patients are choosing life for their children, we're also seeing them choose eternal life for themselves. That's right. So what does that do with you guys today? Maybe you're hurting. Maybe it has something to do with a past abortion or maybe not. Maybe you feel like you're the one at the bottom of that pool. And you're waiting for Jesus to reach down to pull you out and breathe life into you. Today can be your day. I know when it seems like things seem extra dark, it's, it's amazing when we lean into the Lord what he can do. So we shared with you that video of what happened in our clinic being destroyed. But since February, as you know, we've closed on two buildings. We still have six months of build out to go before we're in. But when we recorded that video, we'd raised about $500,000, but now we're sitting at over a million dollars raised. What? That's more than our annual budget. The Lord has done a miraculous thing. But when we were hurting, when we didn't know where we were going to go and what God was going to do, we began to worship. And so that might be you today. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how to get through whatever battle you're going through. But we're going to testify that we're going to trust in him. So would you stand and we're going to close, close with these songs together.
this day and Lord if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who is afar off from you Lord would you draw them near would you show them the way of salvation would you rescue them today and Lord we thank you for stirring our hearts for the sanctity of life I thank you for this church who stands boldly for life you be honored in this place be lifted high in our hearts, in our words, and in our deeds. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thank you, Aaron and Holly, for being here. And if you would join me, I want to just ask the Lord to bless Aaron and Holly and Hope Women's Center. So would you join me in praying for them right now and their staff and their team? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Hope Women's Center. We thank you for Aaron and Holly and all of the men and women of hope. God, we pray your blessings upon them. We pray even now as we've been stirred up to remember who our neighbor is and call to action, Lord, just help us to be wise. Help us to see how we can just continue to stand with hope in prayer, in service, whatever ways that we can do that, Lord. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. We need your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Um, and I know that Aaron and Holly need your sustaining power so much they rely on it. They don't stand on their own strength. They stand on your strength, Lord. And so I thank you for their faithfulness, their obedience, um, their boldness. Um, and just pray that you would um, just lead them and go ahead of them in every step. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.